From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We're honored that you're joining us today. I'm back in the U.S. after spending some time in Europe to avoid the hot weather in Phoenix, so we shouldn't have the sound quality issues that we had on our last show. Nonetheless, the sound compression and transmission uh, technology that's out there today is really quite amazing. We don't have that two- to three-second delay that we used to have when we were 6,000 miles away. Uh, you know, back in the old days, like uh, 10 or 20 years ago, uh, real old days. We're continuing our series on collateral-based or asset-based lending, and I'd like to remind you of a couple of investment fundamentals. First, despite all of the complications many financial advisors like to impress you with, there are only two fundamental ways to invest. You can either own or you can loan. The best-known examples of owning, of course, are stocks, where you own uh, a part of a company or some small portion, and owning investment properties. Those are the two most people know uh, about. The loaning equivalents of those two are, of course, bonds, where you lend money to a company, and holding a mortgage note, where you are the lender on that investment property. Asset-based lending obviously fits into the loaning category. So we're not comparing to the stock market here. We're not comparing to uh, commodities or anything else. We are in the loaning category, so a little bit more of the fixed income. The second investment fundamental I'd like to remind you of is that any secured investment backed by collateral or assets, uh, either term works, is far safer than unsecured investments. Most investors who invest in stocks and bonds aren't aware of the fact that they are unsecured investments. So if you missed some of the prior shows in this series, you'll certainly want to listen to them on our archive. Now, you remember our show on uh, March 28th, and if not, you'll hopefully go back and listen. When we asked you a basic but critical question, are you ready for retirement? There are far fewer pensions than there were two to three decades ago. More responsibility for our retirement is on our shoulders. And with interest rates on government debt close to zero, some are actually below zero around the world, even investors who have accumulated significant assets express a concern that the returns on those assets may not be sufficient to cover their expenses if they or their spouse live well into their 80s, 90s, or 100s. And it's happening more often. And of course, when I say more responsibility for our retirement is on our shoulders, I mean your shoulders and ours here at the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We clearly want your retirement to be a great one so you can focus on your family's health and happiness. Since we plan to help you make sure you're wealthy and have the right insurance in place and running out of money is not a concern. In other words, we plan to have you attain the financial holy grail having income for life. That's why we share investment uh, strategies, various investment strategies, which uh, you then can pick from, the ones that best fit your needs and risk tolerance. And frankly, the asset-based loans we're covering in this series of shows just might be the key to achieving that financial holy grail for the largest number of our listeners. Now, let me say that more clearly. A very high percentage of the million people we help become millionaires will be due to the opportunities we're covering today and we've talked about over the last few months. So hopefully we have your attention 
for the next hour. Now, whether you're on the U.S. West Coast where our guest is, you're in Arizona where I am and you're sipping a cup of coffee, the U.S. East Coast and you're getting ready for lunch, in Europe and just ending your work day, you're somewhere in between or you're listening to the archive of this show, I'm glad, you, and I'm sure you'll be glad you joined us for this hour. Now, if you're listening to the archive of the show and let's say 2026 or later, you'll be able to look back and see how this show could have helped you increase your wealth by listening in August of 2016 and taking advantage of some of the investment ideas we cover in this series of shows. Now, on the Wealth DNA Radio Show, we focus on the fundamentals of investing, as we just talked about, and providing great ideas for building and protecting your wealth. Today is no exception. As we share ideas on how you could be an, uh, become an asset-based lender, and maybe you already are one, and by do, doing so, increase your investment returns while decreasing risk. I'd like to start each show by sharing a quote to set the tone for today's topic. Here's one for today. Today, people who hold cash equivalents feel comfortable. They shouldn't. They have opted for a terrible long-term asset, one that pays virtually nothing and is certain to depreciate in value. That quote is from Warren Buffett. Today is Monday, August 8th, 2016. It is 9.05 a.m. in Arizona and on the U.S. West Coast. It's the only day ever like it. We'll make uh, it a good one for you. Trust me, we'll do everything possible to make it a good one for you. You're listening to the Wealth Dinia Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. Show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. If you didn't receive a reminder of the show, you should connect with us on Twitter or Facebook, where we post reminders. Just connect with The Ronald, put together as a single word. We'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss a show like the earlier ones in this series, you can find them in the archive. Just go to www.wealthdna.us, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Now, we welcome your comments and questions during the show. There is a chat window, which I recommend, below the radio player, where you can just put in your comment or question, or you can call in to our producer. And he'll share that question or comment or possibly put you on the, on the air. That call-in number. 917-388-4162, and it is also shown at the top of the Internet screen. And once you get in, you need to dial a 1 to reach the producer. They used to let you know that, no longer do. So you need to dial 1 after you get into the show. Since our last show, the U.S. equity markets are up a smidgen. That's, a, of course, a technical term. Uh, the S&P hitting the eighth record high in just one month. Today, the U.S. markets are off to a flat start. Asia was up fairly significantly. Europe, which just closed, was up, and Brazil is up. So why do we need alternative investments, you say? The market's doing well. Well, our guest today to discuss asset-based lending is Robert Zadig, founder of Lenders Funding and an attorney with Bookalter Nemer, specializing in asset-based lending, trade finance, letters of credit, loan workouts, and bankruptcy. And that, of course bankruptcy won't be an issue of yours. His professional resume is extensive. He's been committee chair, he's been in banking, law faculty, keynote speaker, and even a CPA. Robert is regularly uh, retained as an expert witness on financial transactions, and some listeners may know him as the host of The Bob Zadig Show, a libertarian talk show. Let's give a warm radio welcome to Robert Zadig. Welcome, Robert, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks a lot, and I'll just pause for the applause to, to <laughs> subside until we can start talking. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we're going to we're going to start right over the uh, the uh, intense applause. We try to uh, keep it fairly uh, tame here. I gave a brief overview of your really extensive background. How do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? Um, well, I it depends on the audience uh, mm-hmm. because I wear a lot of hats. I'm a, I'm a practicing attorney. That's my day job, and that's how mm-hmm. I mostly self-identify. Uh, I'm quick to identify myself as a libertarian because that's an important part of who I am and my radio mm-hmm. show. Also, as an entrepreneur and as a lender myself, I lend to small business both directly and indirectly. And if that audience is interested in that, I might use that as part of my label. Also, as an aside, I might tell these hypothetical cocktail party attendees that I also happen to live on a boat in the San Francisco Bay Area. Cold well, see, well, see, there's something I didn't know. Interesting. Oh, I get it. I get it. Just you know, chalk that up to uh, to another one of those things. Um, good. All right. Appreciate that. Now, in your law practice, you focus, as I mentioned, on asset-based lending and and some related topics. When did you decide on that specialty, and what triggered that? Well, I was uh, I was attending a law school in the evenings at New York University uh, in New York City, down in Greenwich Village, uh, and I it was in the 1960s, which was which w- will not appear to be a significant date to most of our listeners, but it was very important because the law of commercial finance was profoundly changing right at that time. And uh, I had, as a professor, uh, a brilliant and warm gentleman named Homer Kripke, a name that will not mean much to the audience. Uh, He was inspirational, and he was one of the authors of this revolutionary change in the law in the country. And here he was teaching this new law that, that hadn't yet been adopted by most states, but would be, and would revolutionize all of commercial lending and asset-based lending. Sat there with my mouth open, knowing I was in the, knowing I was in the company of a virtual law rock star, and it t- took me almost no time to beg him to help me get a job in this fascinating industry. And he did. Jobs were easy to get in those days, in 1965, and he got me a job in the asset-based lending industry. Uh, I was going to law school at night, so I was able to work in the daytime. Mm -hmm. And uh, I entered the industry in 1965, and am still spending 14 to 16 hours every day of my life working in it. I love it. Wow. Now, in our second uh, show in this series on asset-based lending, I shared a definition. I wanted to see if you'd modified asset-based lending, or sometimes called collateral-based lending, is a business loan secured by collateral or assets. Would you agree with that definition? What would you uh, add to it? I agree as far as it goes, but it does. It's not descriptive enough. Uh, every loan or many loans are one way or another secured by business assets. A real estate loan is secured by business assets. A loan made by a bank where a bank takes a general lien is secured by all assets, but those are not asset-based loans as that term is used in finance. An asset-based loan is, is a particular type of secured loan, and what makes it special is that 
first the amount of the loan is revolving, which means it goes up and down every day, much like a line of credit you might have from a bank or even a credit card. It fluctuates. And more specifically, the val- the amount you are allowed to borrow is in direct relationship with the value of the collateral. So if the collateral is a business's accounts receivable, and if the accounts receivable are a million dollars, well, then the loan will be limited to, let's say, 80%. That's a negotiated number. Mm-hmm. 80% of accounts or $800,000. If accounts go up, you can borrow more. If accounts go down, you can borrow less. So what makes it special is there's a contractual link between the amount you're, you can borrow and the value of the collateral. Okay. All right. So it is pegged to the asset value and changing. So it's not a, a fixed it number. It changes every of, day. Okay. And part of the uh, task of the borrower is to make sure the borrower is not does not have what is called an over-advance, which means the loan is too high in relation to the collateral. Uh, that's, uh, that would put the borrower in default. Now, there may not be any consequence, but you're in default mm-hmm. nonetheless. Okay, kind of like on a margin account. Uh, exactly. Precis- a margin account, it's interesting mm-hmm. you say that, a margin account is, in terms of mechanics, a form of asset-based loan, and it functions exactly the same way. So your analogy is perfect. Oh, I like it. I, I like to get something right on a Monday morning. That always and you did. Week off and, <laughs> and you did. Okay, now you founded Lenders Funding. Uh, what, when did you start that, and why? What uh, what got you involved in the? I started Lenders Funding. I started Lenders Funding in in about the year two thousand, and okay. uh, I I. In doing commercial finance, in representing lenders, and that is my entire practice, I represent business lenders, entrepreneurial lenders who lend to entrepreneurial borrowers, and that's why I like doing what I do because I interact with entrepreneurs all of the time, and entrepreneurs are to me the salt of the earth, and I respect them and really enjoy working with them. I like the, the the whole mindset of an entrepreneur. So uh, my clients lend to entrepreneurs. Now, my clients are themselves entrepreneurial lenders. They are not regulated, and they lend uh, their own money. Now, money they may borrow from banks, and almost all mm-hmm. of them do, but they're on the hook for these loans, so they care a great deal. And okay. when when you lend money that you borrow from a bank, your bank lender will often impose what's called concentration limits. Your bank will say, you cannot, you, Mr. Lender, cannot make a loan of more than $2 million. We won't let you do it. It's not permitted. Well, my clients want to make a loan of $4 million because it's a good deal, but they're not allowed to. So the way they do it is they sell off part of that loan, including the risk, to me, lender's funding. Thus, they make a loan for $4 million, but $2 million is theirs, and $2 million is mine. The borrower gets to borrow, the lender gets to lend, the bank stays happy, and I get to employ some money at a very nice return. So the, the, the core transaction that lender's funding engages in, we are a participant that's the term of art, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in somebody else's loan. We own a piece of that loan, and we do not manage the loan. The lender manages the loan, so we are dependent upon the lender's 
skill, and we will not participate if the lender is not known to me to be a good operator. Uh, but once I have faith in the lender, I will then, if I approve the borrower, I will happily share in the returns and the risk as a participant. Wow. Okay. Very, very interesting. But what was what was the motivation for doing that? I mean, you, you, it's obviously two. The motivation was mm-hmm. I was working. I, here I am, an attorney, four years, five years of night law school, undergraduate degree. And I was representing my clients, and I was the lawyer, and I had all the degrees, and my clients seemed to be making so much more than me on the same transaction. I said, wow, that's an imbalance. Let's see if we can fix that. So the way to enjoy the benefits of the increased income on these transactions is to put some money at risk. So I I joined them. I remain a lawyer, and that's my day job, of course, but in addition to that if I see transactions that appeal to me and if my clients have a need to sell off some risk, mm-hmm. I am happy to do it. Well, okay. And now everybody thinks the lawyer makes all the money on every transaction. So what are we talking about in terms of the returns that uh, a company like yours can earn on these asset-based transactions? Well, the, the, the returns, I earn a bit less than my clients. My sure. clients, the returns of my client, there's a lot of competition for loans. It is a very competitive, it's a free market. Uh, mm-hmm. Therefore, the rates are market-driven. There is rate compression because there are more, there's more money looking for a home than there are quality borrowers. So borrowers have a fair amount of bargaining power. So, but given that rate compression, mm-hmm. the yields vary, of course, based upon sure. the credit worthiness of the borrower. But the yields are anywhere from uh, the low double digits uh, all wow. the way up until the twenties, depending upon lots of factors, uh, mostly risk, the amount of work involved, and things of that nature. So the yields are some uh, very. It's a pretty wide uh, range let's say between 10 on the very low side and mid-20s on the reasonably high side. And they vary all over that range. Wow. Okay. That's the yield. Now, bear in mind, that's the yield to the lender making the loan. My yield would be less because uh, I, I always agree the lender is entitled to earn uh, more than me because they are doing the work. I am, as you will, along for the ride, taking some risk, but not doing much of the work. So therefore, I am not entitled to exactly what the lead, and it's called the lead, the lead lender is earning. Okay. All right. No, that's very, very, very helpful, but uh, significant returns compared to, uh, let's say, a CD. (laughs) Okay. We'll talk more about uh, banks and CDs in a little bit. Giving the money away is a better return than a CD. So you you raise a very low, you have a very low bar if you compare it to CD rates. Well, a lot of investors unfortunately do. But before we get into the banking sector, which we'll talk a little bit about, tell us about the types of uh, funding that your company, in essence, uh, that you're, you're backing these leads. But what, what types of investments do you get involved in? Are they, uh, for example, accounts receivable, the inventory? I mean, what, 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 what well, let's start, let's start easy. The okay. type of thing we lend, we invest in, or make loans to, are the type that pay back. That's the first classification. 
So once okay. we get over, once we sort of pass that threshold, we, we tend to avoid loans that are not likely to be repaid. It's part of our business model. Uh, mm-hmm. But once we get past that, uh, we make loans against any uh, or our leads make loans and we participate in any transaction where the collateral is real, it's collateral that can be verified, that can be managed. Uh, I always caution people who offer transactions to me, do not, do not ask me to use my imagination when it comes to collateral. No, I have no imagination at all. I want real stuff. Um, I don't lend against air or against dreams. I will not finance somebody's dreams, only their assets. And so, but with that limitation, if mm-hmm. I can verify it and monitor it and confirm that it's there, which describes most business assets, accounts receivable, inventory, equipment, sometimes land, sometimes more exotic type collateral like intellectual property, but that's a little bit harder to manage and to police and to value. So that's not really desirable collateral, but that the the stuff of American business is the stuff we lend against. Okay, so air, which I've been offered, uh, would not be in there. So I didn't invest in air either. So I I hear you on that one. In my Let personal remind- life, I tend to value air. Uh, <laughs> I find it to be pretty crucial to my happiness, but not as a lender. Correct, correct. Yeah, it doesn't have a lot of um, – it's hard to sell it. Uh, let me remind our listeners, you're tuned to the Wealth Indian Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Now, if you missed some of the prior shows on asset-based lending or if you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows on wealthdna.us. If you didn't get an email reminder of the show, send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. And by the way, you can also follow us – on either Twitter or Facebook. Just use the Ronald, all one word, no spaces, uh, and follow us. Let's thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you. Now, during the radio show, we welcome you to ask questions, and I'm always fascinated by what our guests have to say and taking notes I sometimes forget. But we do have a chat window under the radio player, and I recommend putting some notes in there, uh, comments, questions, whatever, and we will fit them in the appropriate order. Our topic is asset-based lending, which we're discussing with Robert Zadek, founder of Lenders Funding, an attorney with Bookalter Nemer, specializing in asset-based lending, who's regularly retained as an expert witness on financial transactions. You may also know him as the host of The Bob Zadek Show, a libertarian talk show. Now, Robert, before we dig into more specifics, would you share with our listeners how they could contact you, learn more about you, Lenders Funding, and Bookalter Nemer? The best way to reach me is uh, uh, the email address that is my core email address is rzadek, R-Z-A-D-E-K, at mm-hmm. Buckalda, spelt B as in boy, U, C as in Charlie, H as in Harry, A, L, T as in Tom, E-R, dot com, rzadek at buckalder.com. Okay. All right, and uh, so obviously the bookalter.com will give them some information about you. How about on the lenders' funding side? Is there a website for lenders' funding you might want to show? Lenders' funding has a website. Uh, We have, um, which is lendersfunding.com. We have uh, our business, although our business is of substantial size, we are fortunate enough to 
almost always do business with people we know and who know us. Therefore, our source of business is all the old-fashioned way and the most reliable way, which is by reputation. Uh, so we do not rely upon our website, which is active and which is current, but we don't rely upon our website as the way for people to find us or for us to find them. So people know us because the as the world of asset-based lending and factoring, which is a related type of asset-based lending product, that world has a large but, of course, uh, manageable number of active participants. Maybe right. there are a 1,000 or 1,500, and we at Lenders Funding are well-known enough that everybody in the asset-based lending field, or most people, know of us, and I like to think have a positive sense of how we operate. So uh, we get lots of referrals. We rarely get people that sometimes people who are strangers to us, we will learn about them. We welcome strangers so long as they are competent managers uh, of their lending portfolio. Uh, we are not a training ground. We rely upon the skill of our leads, and that is a, a very important component. So people know how to find us, and we have no shortage of of investment opportunities. But we welcome new friends all of the time. Exactly. And that's why I wanted to make sure your contact information is out Thank there. Thank you. Okay. Let's back up and have you answer a fundamental question. What are the most common types of asset-based loans? In other words, what are these assets that we're talking about? You mentioned one, which is accounts receivable. What are some of the other ones? Uh, inventory is very common. Uh, inventory, um, the borrow inventory is very expensive for a borrower to maintain. There are an inventory as a, as an asset to carry on your balance sheet is in, is expensive in an insidious way because a lot of the costs of carrying inventory don't appear as such on the income statement. There is cost of obsolescence, pilferage, uh, destruction, insurance, storage, and the like. None of them appear as uh, a P&L item called cost of carrying inventory. Right, They're just right. buried in other costs. They're buried costs, but it's sure. expensive. So when, if a business has to carry inventory, a very expensive asset, uh, they either tie up their own capital and uh, it's a lot of capital, or they use lender money, so the lender's capital is tied up in the inventory, uh, albeit at an interest cost, but the borrower could then use its own capital for better and higher-yielding purposes. So inventory, invariably finished goods inventory, and sometimes raw materials, is a lendable, that's a good phrase, a lendable mm -hmm. asset. The advance rate depends upon the commodity, generally 25 to 50% of cost, but that's a very rough figure, and that changes with industry, it changes with season and the like. But as a, as a good starting point for your listeners, 25 to 50% of the cost, or lower, of course, the market of finished goods or raw materials work in process is, of course, virtually non it's non-existent it doesn't exist as a item of collateral nobody in their right mind other than people with a death wish would lend against work in process 
<laughs> okay. How about other types? Uh, for example, equipment. Equipment. Okay. E- equipment is very valuable. The, uh, equipment lending is not usually revolving. It, because it doesn't oh, fluctuate right. in right. value every day, but rather there'll be uh, an acquisition cost. You'll acquire an inventory with, you'll acquire equipment with borrowed money, amortize it over the estimated useful life of the asset, and just pay it down as the item of inventory contributes to wealth and contributes to income. Sometimes you'll refinance and you'll have assets with a long-term estimated useful life, and you'll borrow against existing inventory existing equipment, again, with a term loan. Okay. Uh, Any others? Land, sometimes. Land, of course, is real estate loans that has its own world. It's not typically included in the uh, the overall heading of asset-based loans, but it is an (laughs) asset, and if you needed, as a business, if you needed to borrow money, of course, real estate is a lendable asset. But okay. it's not a commonly called an asset-based loan. All right, let's let's talk about these a little bit more detail. You've, you've touched on some, but let's talk about lending accounts receivable. You, you you touched on the percentages in the case of inventory. Would that be higher or lower in terms of the percentage that would be? be the uh, general, the starting point. Uh, yep. Remember, it's negotiated. There is a free sure. market. Uh, it's a very active market, so all of these are negotiated. But just so your listeners have some sense of what kinds of transactions exist, the general starting point is about an 80% advance against, oh, okay. and now I'm going to add a qualifier, eligible accounts. A lender will be delighted to lend against accounts receivable because they are a very valuable asset. They're short-term. They can It can be verified. It's going to be paid in a short period of time. So, at, And most importantly, as I said, it can be verified, which is very important if you're a lender. Now, um, the advance rate will always be applied against eligible inventory, which means you have to ask yourself, what's not eligible? Well, uh, inventory that is, or rather accounts that are past due beyond a certain point, typically 90 days, again, negotiated. Uh, Inventory that's maybe owed by foreign customers because of the difficulty of enforcing it in in jurisdictions where the legal system may not be as efficient as ours or inventory that's subject to offsets uh inventory that's owned by or rather accounts receivable that's owned by affiliates so a lender and it's pretty standard most lenders use the same general rules of eligibility, but you get the point. It has to yep. be real stuff and collectible for the lender to lend against it. Okay. Now, how does that differ from factoring? You, you touched on it just in, in, in talking about the types. Is, is factoring basically part of that accounts receivable? Factoring is, is a form, uh, is a very similar product to accounts receivable lending. The Mm -hmm. difference is in a factoring transaction, and factor is where I spend, factoring is where I spend a a very high percentage of my workday. So I, I, this is that's my sweet spot in asset-based lending. But in a factoring transaction, the factor, the alternative to the lender, in this case, a Mm -hmm. factor will purchase the account. uh, And the purchase price will be the face amount of the account, the factor will 
will pay the purchase price in two installments, 80% when it buys it and the other 20% when it collects it, and it will charge a factoring fee, an alternative to interest, and the factoring fee is the compensation, and typically the factoring fee will accrue with the passage of time. The longer an account is outstanding, the higher the fee, but even that varies. Some factors charge a flat fee, which is not based upon when an account collects. It's all negotiated. Different factors have different models as to how they price the product. But for the, the borrower, for the customer of the factor or asset-based lender, it will feel very much like asset-based lending. And the difference is, to a substantial degree, one of form over substance, not a substantial difference to the borrower. It feels the same to the borrower. Okay. Now, there's something called merchant cash advances, and I get calls probably weekly on this topic. Is that the same as factoring? How come you get calls so infrequently? Um, I get calls hourly on merchant cash advance. You must have an unlisted number or something. Um, I have a good, I have a good gatekeeper. You got to get out more, Ron. You're not getting enough phone calls on MCAs. Uh, MCAs, um, and of course, they've been around long enough to have their own little acronym: MCAs, MCA, aka okay. merchant cash advance describes a range of financial products relatively new which has it their own fascinating history that maybe we'll have time to get into i happen to like and am a student of the history of financial products uh, i enjoy them intellectually and it just it's pleasing to me to learn about this stuff. But the product of merchant cash advance, and we're talking in a very broad sense, it has the following characteristics. First of all, while merchant cash advance lenders do take liens on the assets of the borrower, they often are not in first position. And more importantly, unlike asset-based lenders, which know every minute the value of their collateral, merchant cash advance companies are generally clueless as to the value of the collateral because the collateral is not an important component in the credit decision. A merchant cash advance makes a loan. It's generally a term loan, but remember, there's a very active marketplace, and everybody is trying to distinguish mm -hmm. themselves from each other. So the range of types of products vary with the ingenuity of the MCA, the merchant cash advance lender. So I'm speaking mm -hmm. generally, but I'm leaving out Lots of stuff sure, in the margin. Different things could happen. The core merchant cash advance product is um, a merchant cash advance company will lend. I'm making up numbers just as placeholders. Will lend fifty thousand dollars and say we have to get paid back seventy five thousand dollars. Now, if I stop there. The borrower has no idea what the interest rate is because you don't know how long you have to pay it back. The longer you have to pay it back, the lower the interest rate. Uh, and what's very important is mechanics. A merchant cash advance company will typically get paid back with daily payments, daily, every day, okay. ka-chunk, ka-chunk. And the daily payments will be by automatic debit by the lender 
to the borrower's checking account. So mm-hmm. every day, okay. $1,100, ka-chunk, ka-chunk, out of the account. And if, if there's not enough money in the account, then the, the attempted withdrawal will bounce, the borrower will be in default, and mm-hmm. all hell breaks loose. And we swing into enforcement mode. Now, the MCA may give the borrower more time, may negotiate and do a workout, but now the borrower is in default. And the merchant cash advance product uh, generally has a very, very high interest rate, much, much higher than the asset-based lending or factoring products we're talking about. Uh, And... uh, borrowers may not be aware of exactly what the annual percentage rate, the APR is, what the interest rate is. They may not be aware. They may not care. But it is very, very high. Uh, The MCA also has as a characteristic that it is an online application. It It does business primarily electronically with a lot of mass marketing, electronic marketing and the like. It is highly competitive. Uh, And another characteristic is since MCAs, while they're secured in the legal sense, that is to have a lien, Mm -hmm. they have no idea what the collateral is worth. Well, if you don't know what the collateral is worth, how do you know you're going to get paid back? Well, an MCA will do its credit decision-making often based upon algorithms they have built where they use data which is available in the world of big data. And they have complex algorithms where they collect data almost instantaneously on a borrower, much like consumer lending with uh, FICA scores and the like. They will collect data that's out there in the data sphere, and they will make almost instantaneous credit decisions based upon the predictive value of the algorithm, and they therefore will tell a borrower, okay, we'll give you $100,000, and the decision is made in like 11 minutes based upon the algorithm. So that's what distinguishes MCAs from asset-based lenders. In asset-based lending, they rely upon collateral as the primary comfort of getting repaid. An MCA relies upon big black box with an algorithm, which hopefully will be an accurate predictor of default. Well, sounds sounds uh, like a little bit shadier industry than the asset. Uh, shady isn't a fair word. It's it's. I would, if you want a descriptor, it's probably an unproven industry. But the the risk of it not being proven lies with the lender. The borrowers may be getting more money than they quote deserve. And there may end up being, at the end of the day, five years from now, unpredictable or unexpectedly high default rates. We don't know that. But shady is not a fair descriptor. There's nothing shady about it. It's a cutting edge. And cutting edge doesn't mean better. It just means newer. It's a cutting edge uh, attempt to make – conflate a credit decision from weeks. So a bank will take six weeks for a credit decision. A MCA will take six nanoseconds. So it's attempting to provide 
there's instantaneous gratification in the forms of a credit line, and it remains to be seen whether the model will prove out. It might prove to be wildly successful. And there's nothing in my, I hope, nothing in my tone or in the words that I choose that should suggest any kind of a judgment. I'm not being judgmental. I I understand. I and nobody else knows if it'll work. Right. It's sort of like Los, Al, uh, uh, Los Alamos uh, uh, building the atom bomb. You have these formulas, and they, uh, these scientists are sitting around saying, well, it should work, but they don't know till they drop one in the desert. And there actually was a mushroom cloud. Now, mushroom cloud may be a painful, a painful analogy to MCA lending, but it's that kind of a deal. You don't know it's going to work until you've done it for five years went through a bunch of business cycles, and see if you made any money. Yeah, when you talk about cutting edge, it reminds me of the old days when we talked about the leading edge versus the bleeding edge. And so it's something I'm going to shy away until it's better proven. So I'll I'll assume it's It certainly hasn't been proven yet, but right now it happens to be, putting aside the somewhat high interest rates, in Mm -hmm. many ways it is a wonderful product for a credit-hungry borrower. It's instantaneous, and the borrower might be getting much more money than it deserves Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. a credit standpoint. Remains to be seen, and I dare say that the competition, it's intense, will probably end up causing rate compression, which will put even more pressure on the need for accuracy in predicting default, because there's less room for error. Okay. Let me ask you. It's all question. very interesting and remains to be seen. So tune in at ten, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. In your list of types of asset-based loans, you didn't mention car loans. Can you give us a quick answer as to why? I didn't mention car loans because car loans are a consumer lending product uh, and not a, not a business-to-business product. Um, well the closest one comes to a similarity is in. Truck leasing, if you have a, uh, mm-hmm. a business, a trucking company, or a delivery company that has a fleet of trucks, they will finance the trucks or the delivery equipment, um, and that's as close as it comes. But that's a pretty standard, forms-driven, uh, efficient market, low-rate kind of business financing. But car loans uh, otherwise is a consumer product, and um, I, don't, um, I don't have much experience in dealing with loans to consumers uh, because being a libertarian, uh, I find it painful to deal in any environment that's regulated. Uh, it makes me – it just gives me the heebie-jeebies, and I, I, I tend to organize my life in as unregulated a way as I possibly can, and one of them is to avoid CFPB. Okay. Uh, before we continue, in case you just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. You can listen to the earlier portion on the archive, or if you missed prior shows, you can find them in the archives, which are wealthdna.us. Today, our guest is Robert Zadek. He's the founder of Lenders Funding, an attorney with Bookalter Nemer, specializing in asset-based lending, trade finance, letters of credit, loan workouts, and bankruptcy. Robert is regularly retained as an expert witness on financial transactions, and some listeners may know him as the host of The Bob Zadek Show, a libertarian. 
Talk Show. I'd like to thank our uh, sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you. If you just tuned in, you'll want to go back to the beginning of the show. Some fascinating stuff we've covered. The same link will take you there. Our producers really make it pretty easy for you. Uh, Robert, before we talk a little bit about kind of the individual uh, investor side of things, let me just touch on banks a little bit. Uh, they're the institutions with the most money. They've got cheap interest rates. Uh, are the banks the biggest players in asset-based lending and uh, therefore can a- offer the uh, the lowest cost loans? Well, th- there's a whole lot of sub-questions in that <laughs> one in that one question. First of all, biggest I I guess they are the biggest probably they have um they are cheap because they get their money for free and right. when you get an unlimited amount of free money you tend to have a low cost of lending uh, mm-hmm. banks are um yes they are in terms of volume they are big players but banks mm-hmm. are remarkably bad at making business loans. Uh, A banker will tell you that in terms of sheer size, they lose money on any loan, any business loan below $100,000. They lose money, which means they probably break even on a business loan of $100,000. They hope to make some of it back by selling ancillary products, cash management services, uh, wealth management for the owners of the business, things of that nature, uh, fee-driven products that they can sell, credit cards and stuff like that. But on the pure product called business loan, uh, banks uh, do not make money at loans generally. Now, smaller banks sure. may have a lower threshold, but as a general matter, banks don't make money on loans below $100,000. Also, bankers are uh, basically, for the most part, I'm going to be a little bit unfair, and there are lots of modifiers, but in general, because of the intense regulation of banking, we have virtually had a government takeover of banks in this country. So bankers are half business people, and maybe at most half, and half government workers who get a private enterprise paycheck because they do what they are required to do by the regulators who control them because the government says if we're insuring you or insuring your deposits, we have a stake in your success and you will do business our way. As a result of which, a banker may, in in a private intellectual way, be willing to make a loan, but if it doesn't, if the loan doesn't conform with government-imposed standards of the regulators, the banker has to say no, even though its judgment is to say yes. So it's a, a complex answer to your question, and also the, it takes often takes a month or more to get a business loan. Cons- compare that with six seconds for an MCA or two or three days for an asset-based lender. And that's intolerable. Who can wait that long in a business? Business is more dynamic than that. So also, also, uh, bank loans come with lots of rules. Understandably, it's their money. They're entitled to set the rules. And if you break the rules, 
the relationship could be severed, and you'll be stuck as a business person at just at a moment when you're most vulnerable because you've had a bad month or a bad quarter or something beyond your control has happened, just when you need all the allies you can find, the banker has said you're no longer welcome, and it's hard to get a new loan when you're in trouble. So bankers will abandon you at the drop of a hat. There is almost no such thing as loyalty in a relationship between a banker and its borrower. And that's because bankers, again, they are told what to do and don't have, don't have the leeway to manage their relationship and manage their reputation. So uh, although I seem like I'm being unfair to bankers, it's in a way not their fault because of the relationship between the banker and the regulators. So it's not their fault. But that's the result to the customer, to the borrower. So yes, you get really cheap money, but it comes with lots of unpleasantness. And it's almost as if it's a luxury to pay more to an asset-based lender, which is not regulated, and you have the luxury of some higher level of comfort that you have a strong relationship. And that's okay. a trade-off a business person would have to make. Sure. Okay. So basically, they uh, and you're 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 not being unfair to them. We often refer to them as banksters here. So um, you're 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 okay. You're you're staying definitely in the politically uh, correct guidelines. But what you're saying is a low interest rate could cost your business if you're not careful. Uh, and uh, the banks are probably not going to have that level of flexibility in negotiation that you emphasized when we talked earlier about these asset-based lenders. What I when I teach when I am speaking to a group of of entrepreneurs, of business people, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm often asked to speak about what I know, which is lending, I will tell them one of my rules, one of Bob Zadig's rules of being a borrower is do not pick a lender based upon price because no one ever went out of business, ever, because their interest rate was too high. But people fail all the time because their line gets pulled and they can't replace the borrowing, and therefore they go into bankruptcy or they fail. So uh, a lender will hurt you only if they abandon you at the wrong time, not because they charge you too much. So rate, while all things being equal, rate is important, but all things are not equal. Okay, I'm going to quote you on that. By the way, I'm going to, that was you can. jotting that down. I'm going to use that phrase uh, more often. If you so can't really... find a good James Madison quote, quoting <laughs> me is not a bad alternative. <laughs> okay, now when you jumped into to this asset-based lending, you knew a hundred times as much about asset-based lending than most of our individual savers and investors that might be listening to this show. Uh, could they also participate in these uh, asset-based loans? It, to, it's very uh, hard. It his his. <laughs> The answer is, could they? Of course they could. That is, they're able to say, okay, I have a million dollars, and okay, borrowers, here's how to find me, and I have downloaded some forms from the Internet. And But the problem is, asset-based lending is an ongoing business. It's not a passive mm -hmm. investment. With stocks, while, of course, you have to, or any other more passive investment, including sometimes real estate, you could sort of employ, give some thought to in getting the money out there working for you, and then you can sort of take a couple of days off and not pay attention. Sure. 
and because your investment is taking care of itself and there are no minute-by-minute decisions to be made. In asset-based lending, you can't – it's a business, not a passive investment. And if you take a couple of days off, you'll come back and your life will be simpler because you will have lost all your money. Therefore, you don't have more time on your hands because now you have no more business to manage. You just got wiped out. So um, you can do it, but – you have to do it as a business, not as an investment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, now let's let's talk about uh, some of these uh, the private or non-bank uh, asset-based lenders. Maybe some of the ones you're backing. Uh, the salt they... of the earth. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and whether we're talking leads or companies like yours, do some of them place money for individuals or pool money for them, uh, or or does that kind of uh, they shy yes. away from that because of yes. SEC? Yes, they do. Uh, The typical capital structure of one of my clients. Mm -hmm. Now, typical doesn't mean everyone, but it means this is the usual. The usual Mm -hmm. is the right-hand side of the balance sheet, the source of funds side of the balance sheet, has at the top working from top to bottom, it'll have the loan from a bank. That's where most of the money comes from or other institution. That's the cheap money. That's a revolver. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, at the bottom is the equity of the owners. They have to have some skin in the game, as they say. In the middle, which is answering your question, will be what is commonly called friends and relatives money. It will be investors' money. And that's money that goes in there usually as subordinated obligations. So Mm -hmm. you come behind the bank. Therefore, if your borrower, the lender itself, runs out of business, you're not likely to get paid back in full and could be wiped out entirely depending upon how bad the disaster is. But you get to that that middle piece will pay interest. Somewhere, it's negotiated, let's say somewhere between 6 and 12% per annum, maybe even a bit higher. And the terms are generally, it's an interest-only deal. You get your money back if you ask for it. Normally, there's a waiting period. Uh, it could be 30 days. It could be 180 days before you get your money back. You might get it back sooner if they have it. But you, you can't expect to get it back with a phone call. And the yields are nice, and basically you're making a loan to a business um, so the business can use your money to earn more. And, oh, I have no, and those – We just have a phone ring, and I have no idea why. I don't know if that's true. Not me. Welcome no, to not American me. Wireless. The wireless Pete, customer you, you called is not available at this right, time. Let's, Please let's try your call going. again Hopefully later. That will go away in a second here. Switch for okay. dash four. That's one of those uh, flukes probably coming into our wireless. station. The wireless uh, customer you called oh, is not available Pete, is there at this time. We can do on that? Please try your call again later. Announcement I have no idea one. why that Switch dropped four, off, but okay. Me, four, I'm just yeah, no, on my phone. Okay, I just that's why I just double checked. Maybe I thought it was a call. But okay, let's assume that has stopped. So, so you could find if you if you can find these. These lenders normally don't advertise for money. There are securities issues involved. Uh, and it's normally, as I said, it's friends and relatives' money. Um, but that is a way you can get into the game, into that industry, enjoy much higher returns that you can get. And whether or not they're safe investments or not depends upon the skill of the operator, the skill of the lender. Uh, okay. 
I have found very few lender defaults. I I know virtually every lender in the space, and there have maybe been four or five failures in my entire life. Uh, so it's based upon my own anecdotal experience, reasonably safe investments, and uh, very nice returns. But that's the only way I can think of conveniently that an individual investor can uh, find a home for their investment money in a passive way because you don't mm-hmm. have to do anything. You just get interest right, right. every month or every quarter. It's passive after you've found the right uh, right partner to be investing with. So I'm, That's I'm right. And you can, remember, you can lend the money yourself. I don't advise oh, no. it. Okay. There's too much of a learning curve. Understand. Now, one of the fascinating things about you and one of the key reasons we contacted you and the way we reached you is you are also an expert witness, giving you kind of a unique perspective. No, not kind of, a unique perspective. What are the types of things that go wrong with these asset-based loans? Because obviously coming in as an expert witness, witness means something went wrong between the parties. Yes, it's always the same thing. Okay. Fraud. Fraud. What happens uh. is uh, – what happens is um, – the way you this is a loan where you don't lose money for credit reasons. Normally, when one thinks of mm-hmm. making a loan, you think if I lose money in a loan, it's because the borrower became insolvent. In asset-based lending, insolvency of the borrower doesn't matter because you have the collateral. So who cares about the borrower unless you don't have the collateral? Well, you thought you had the collateral because you were verifying, but you don't because you got defrauded. So there are frauds, and once there's a fraud, then various people will spend their litigation energy trying to stick somebody else with the fraud, and that's where the litigation comes about, and that's where I'm asked to testify as to who should end up with, with who did a bad job and who should take the loss. And that's the job of the expert witness in these kind of usually inter-lender disputes as they try to allocate oh. fraud losses. Okay, but it's obviously the borrower that has uh, initiated. I assume it's not the lender that was being fraudulent. No, normally it's, the it's, 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 it's the be, sometimes between lenders, sometimes between a lender gotcha. and a borrower on the issue of fraud. Okay, gotcha. And now, am I still correct, though, in telling investors they're far better off doing uh, secured investing in like asset-based lending than they are putting their money into CDs or bonds? Well, p- putting aside the rate differential, because <laughs> well, CDs no, don't, don't make the cut. Um, but you made a statement at the opening of the show that mm-hmm. secured loans were safer than unsecured loans. Mm-hmm. I would have. I was. I made a note to myself to qualify sure. that. Okay. That's generally true, but remember, a unsecured loan to Microsoft is a lot safer than a secured loan to a loser. So, therefore, in general, if all other things are equal, it's better to have collateral because the failure of the borrower doesn't hurt you. So that statement is true, but it's not true universally that secured is better than unsecured. But secured is a protection against the failure of the borrower. Think of a homeowner who takes a home mortgage. The homeowner loses their job, goes bankrupt. The lender doesn't care. You still have the house. Yep. Whereas an unsecured loan to the same borrower is you're wiped out. Correct. As long as they didn't rely on that credit worthiness, they relied on the asset value. That's correct. Which is obviously key to that thing. Okay. That's correct. Uh, now, 
our listeners have a great overview of asset-based lending from we talked about, although I could admit we could go another hour and I would still be learning a lot of stuff. Is there a book out there, maybe a asset-based lending for dummies book or something that, that uh, you know, we could read to kind of give us uh, more detail on some of this stuff? Actually not, because there aren't a lot of dummies who want to know about asset-based lending. They <laughs> <laughs> can't do dumb. So, so I'm not trying to be obnoxious, but sure, there isn't good. a book. This is okay. a a way to make money that you learn on the job. You learn from somebody. As I sat around the fraternity house, nobody sitting in those overstuffed leather chairs ever said, I can't wait to graduate and be an asset-based lender. It's, it's, not, it's not like a career goal. People go into it because they're smart and they have some capital and they have learned how to do it by working somewhere else like it and you pick up the skill set how to do it Um, there is no book and if there was a book anybody who read it would be in bankruptcy court you can't learn it from a book you have to do it it requires it's like is there a book that'll tell you how to walk in a really bad neighborhood yeah there probably is but you but you would end up being knifed uh you wouldn't survive well similarly you have to do it and you have to learn from somebody who's smart. Okay, all right. That's 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 actually some good good comments in there. Baking in a little bit of of, of warning. It does require some some hand holding through this proper process. Now, I I wrote down several L's when you were in, you know when we introduced you and also in uh, in talking about how we get a hold of you. Uh, if they want to learn more about you as a lawyer, lecturer, uh, libertarian, or a lender, uh, what are those? Re- remind us again of the email Thank address. Thank you. And the my website, my radio show. I'm on every Sunday. Uh, from 8 to 9 a.m. I'll be changing stations. I'll be on in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, 8.60 a.m. and live on the web, uh, com. My law firm is Buckhold, B-U-C-H-A-L-T-E-R, Nemer, N-E-M-E-R. We are a business law firm, and I am I do commercial lending, asset-based lending and factoring, and I'm at www.buckholder.com, and my email address is rzadek, Z-A-D-E-K, at buckholder.com, and I am, my tagline is on my radio show, Lawyer, Lecture, and Libertarian. Those are those wonderful L's you referred to. We got to throw in lender. Got to throw in lender. You're definitely lender, exactly uh, right. Doing that, so it's four L's. It's I happen to. I have a partiality towards alliterations. Can't help it. That, that's that's well said. Because we on our last show we talked about uh, the uh, three L's of uh, new build or, or housing starts, and we added a fourth L as well. So if somebody missed that show, that'll get them interested. Hopefully, in, uh, in since I live on a boat, housing starts don't necessarily <laughs> excite me. <laughs> Unless you're investing in, in real estate, then it can Unless be. Unless you're investing uh, in real estate. Exactly right. All right. Now, we've covered a lot of topics of asset-based lending today. Are there some key ones you'd like to add or emphasize? Uh, only that it is, as I said, it's not for an investor directly, although mm-hmm. you could, but it, it would you would have to do on-the-job training, and mm-hmm. it requires everyday of being on the job it's not a passive investment mm-hmm. and it is the it is what keeps entrepreneurial businesses in America alive without asset based lending 
middle market businesses would have nowhere to go for money. The banks would decline them, uh, and they'd be relegated either to really high interest rate loans or no loans at all. So asset-based lending has and continues to drive American entrepreneurial business. And thank heaven we have it. Wow. I'm about to stand up and salute here. Um, It makes me teary-eyed. And I mean, well, I, 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 I agree with you. Well, Bob, it's free market at its very, very best. The borrower is king. The marketplace determines the rate, and people do business fairly with each other. It's a magic environment. Yeah, and money is to be made on both sides of the house. Which money is, is to be important. made on both sides, and oh, everybody is happy in the transaction. Uh, it is, as they say, the a mutually beneficial exchange. You bet. Now, I, I, I have to say this is an understatement that I'm going to, uh, to say that I enjoyed having you as a guest today. You obviously have a lot of radio. Thank you so much, Ron. Thank Thanks you. for having this me. This has really been fun. Hopefully we can get you back maybe on, on, on a book you'll put together on how to uh, coach people in asset-based lending or something that uh, we can learn from your uh, many, many years in this, uh, in this industry. So Let me look put your mind it. at rest. You don't have to be at your most persuasive to get me to come back on your show. Let Perfect. me just – you can relax. Perfect. I love it. I, I it's do not want to very hard to get me to talk about something which I love doing more than I love anything else. All right. And next time we'll uh, we'll ask you about presidential candidates. I don't want to go into that topic. We don't have enough time today. But I'll uh, need two hours. <laughs> love it. All right. Appreciate you having you on, Bob. Thanks a lot, Ron. And thanks to your listeners and to everybody out there. Have a nice day. All right. Thank you. Now, hopefully we've covered the most important aspects of asset-based lending, answered some of your questions, and starting to see why these investments are worth considering as part of your portfolio. Now, it won't necessarily be easy, as as, uh, Robert Zadig told us, but there are ways to do it. And, of course, uh, if you had a business idea, there'd be a way to do it as well. But also our entrepreneurs that are listeners probably learned a lot and uh, maybe cautioned a little bit about uh, the the differences between asset-based lending and these MCAs. Now, when interest rates eventually start to rise, and they will, any of the money you have invested in bonds may have a negative return for years or even decades to come, whereas these asset-based contractual obligations can have interest rate hedges built in. Any loans I do longer than three years have interest rate adjustments built in, and I suspect Robert Sadick would suggest that for you as well. Now, just for fun, the next time a broker or investment advisor suggests a bond, whether it's a corporate or municipal, for you, tell them you're only willing to make that loan if there's an interest rate adjustment built in every three years. First, they're going to wonder why you called it a loan since they pitched them as investments and think you own a bond, which you know is not the case. Secondly, they'll probably assume you've spent too much time in Holland or maybe Colorado where recreational marijuana has been uh, legalized, and yet such common sense logical conditions can be included when you're an asset-based lender. So how do these asset-based loans help me achieve the holy grail? I'd refer you back to the discussion we had in March asking if you were ready to retire. In that show, we talked about percent rule most financial advisors suggest for how much more you can, you can withdraw from your portfolio each year. Remember the returns that investors are earning, and I quoted some on our show on real estate, and Bob is right around in that same range, uh, in that 6 to 
I'll call it 15%. Uh, and if I set up my budget to not withdraw more than 4% and my portfolio is growing at least 6%, then I can continue to withdraw 4% of an ever-increasing portfolio each year. Some of our student investors or financial advisors will say, Ron, you're ignoring inflation. Well, on the surface, it may seem that way, but remember the comment I just made. With that range of returns I talked about currently being earned by investors, and I just mentioned you can earn higher returns when interest rates or inflation are higher. Now, the best, one of the best things you can do to minimize the risk of running out of money during your retirement, tune into this show, the Wealth DNA Radio Show, every second and fourth Monday of the month. Regular listeners know our objective is to share the fundamentals of investing, provide great ideas for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to help you and one million other people become millionaires. Today's show is a great example. Now, I certainly hope it's not ob- it's now obvious, not not. It's hopefully it's now obvious why I chose Warren Buffett's quote. Today, people who hold cash equivalents feel comfortable. They shouldn't. They have opted for a terrible long-term asset, one that pays virtually nothing is certain to depreciate in value. Now, if you missed part of today's show, you want to recommend it to friends, the link in the announcement will take you to the archived version. And, of course, you'll always find the full list of past shows there, www.wealthdna.us. I'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix Scottsdale area, for helping us put together this information. Now, the next Wealth DNA Radio Show, of course, is the fourth Monday of August, and that's Monday, August 22nd, 9 a.m. Arizona time, same place, same time. We have tentatively scheduled a show on the five parts of a balance sheet. It was fascinating to have uh, Bob talk about that right side of the balance sheet. We'll get into it in more detail. Although we may change that show just to fit other guests' schedule, experts like Robert Zadig have a busy schedule, so we rearrange our schedule accordingly. The full lineup of guests and topics is on WealthDNA.us, and of course, you'll find the archive of past shows there, too. If you have comments or questions about this show or others, or you haven't received my emails reminding you about this show, just send an email to ron at WealthDNA.us, or follow The Ronald, all one word, on Facebook or Twitter. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy. And, of course, let me wish you happy investing and becoming an asset-based lender. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started. <laughs>